0: To the
1: Token and Op Show
2: on
1: the Roads to Liberty Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Roads to Liberty Podcast. I am your host, Token, and I am joined by two fantastic guests. I've got Kim Ruff and John Phillips. They're both running for president and vice president uh, under the Libertarian Party. They're running for the nomination. So, Welcome, everybody, to the show. I'm glad to have you on.
2: Thanks for having us on. I appreciate your time. Glad to be here.
1: Absolutely. So first of all, before we get to the big question, I want to ask you guys about get get an update on the campaign. You guys have been running for a while now. I think it was uh, Zach interviewed you guys on this show last year, <laughs> and we're just now getting you back on. So uh, give us an update on how the campaign's coming along.
2: Do, do you want me to answer this or do you want to field it, John? You go ahead. Okay. Camping is actually going really well. Um, John and I both have had a presence at quite a few conventions and events. We have a huge uh, team that's supporting us, not just nationally, but also on the state level. We've raised a significant amount of money and we're we're gaining a lot of traction. So we've been very, very fortunate in how much we've been able to accomplish in the past year we announced in july of last year and in the time since we've gotten a lot of media opportunities and, and brought a lot of attention to important issues and individuals within the party who deserve respect and uh and to be center stage as well so it's been a it's been a very very positive experience so far
0: and yeah we've got, and I, yeah, we've go got ahead, several uh, we've got several events upcoming too uh you're going to michigan this weekend i'm going to north dakota the weekend after that uh a couple in October we've got the big debates in South Carolina in November right. so
1: yeah that's awesome uh either of you going to be at the uh the LP I think it's like a training seminar in Des Moines coming up near the end of the month
2: I had not planned on it had you John
0: uh, no, that's it's a region only thing, so you wouldn't have been invited to it anyway, Kim and oh. I. Uh, <laughs> while I did help a little bit with the organizing of it, I actually had another commitment that weekend when uh, when they scheduled it, so I am probably not going to make it. Boo, I was hoping uh, to interview one of
1: you guys live while 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 I was there. Oh well,
0: <laughs> yeah. That I
1: really, no, yeah, that's
0: good. Yeah, I really did want to go, but it's just just timing, so.
1: You know, I gotta say, I mean, there's there's a lot of people in the running right now for president on uh, the LP. But I gotta say, out of everyone running, I've seen more people with your guys' photos on their profile than anybody else. This little RP that you guys have going on, I see it all over the place. You guys are very popular within the Libertarian Party. You guys have been getting around, making a big buzz. And but the big question coming up is there's a big chance that as we get closer and closer to the Libertarian Convention that we're going to see outside people from outside the party jump in to run for president. Mm -hmm. This this isn't an uncommon thing. Gary Johnson did it famously uh, eight years ago, got the nomination twice in a row and got record vote totals for the Libertarian Party. This is one of the reasons that people are very attracted to these big name outside candidates who come in to run for president Mm -hmm. because they bring in a lot of name recognition and a lot of vote totals. But you guys have been making the case that the Libertarian Party should make a concerted effort to nominate somebody who is already active in the party and somebody who doesn't jump in at the last second, who's already intimately uh, involved with the party. So why should the Libertarian party do that as opposed to go for the big name candidates?
2: Well, to be clear, we don't have any objection to looking for somebody who has name recognition. Excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. Um, We don't have any objection to that. And we don't even have an objection to somebody coming in toward the last minute and running for us provided of course that they're a principled libertarian the issue for us and the reason why we did this in the first place is that you know gary johnson was stellar in 2012 but he didn't have the same level of approach or steam that he had in 2012 and 2016 and bill Weld wasn't the best person to partner with him because he was even squishier on libertarianism so if you're going to have somebody represent us at the top of the ticket You should have somebody who actually is able to articulate consistently the values that we hold. That's their job. The probability of somebody getting elected to president as a third-party candidate is not in our favor. So if they are going to run, and we should, we have to anyway for ballot access reasons, you should run someone who's going to articulate our values. And then your down-ballot candidates who do actually have the probability of getting elected can take that and run with it. So in the ideal world, absolutely, name recognition, award chest, people ready and willing and able, uh, media recognition, and libertarianism combined, if we could have all those factors aligned, that would be fabulous. But if it's a matter of this or that, I would prefer the principled candidate that knows libertarianism backwards and forwards than someone who's got a little more name recognition or a war chest that they may or may not use to assist us. So that's really kind of our my position on it. What about you, John? What do you I, think? Brian?
0: I think you covered <laughs> it pretty well. Uh, pr- but the one thing I would add is that uh, while we we already have people looking to jump in, as you mentioned, um, some names are have already switched parties or at least are claiming to switch parties. And their records are not very good as far as libertarianism. Um, other people who might be considering it in the future might have a little bit better record. And there are some names that we would, you know, object to less than others. So it's not so much that we want uh, that, uh, you know, oh, it's got to be somebody that's already in the party, but it's got to be somebody that can stand up there and answer questions with an actual libertarian answer, uh, not Republican-like.
2: Right. And that is something that, you know, you have to bear in mind where we're coming from as, you know, prior to being candidates. John was active in the Illinois party, Still is. He's a LNC rep. I've been active in both Arizona and New York as well as the Libertarian Party Radical Caucus. So we're coming from this from the perspective of people who have been the boots on the ground this whole time and have had to deal with win, lose, or draw whatever a presidential candidate puts out. So that's kind of why we did what we did is we were hoping to encourage others who have been in this party a long time and are very able speakers and communicators of these ideas to realize that we have the strength and the power to do it ourselves. We don't have to ask for somebody to come and rescue us. We're perfectly capable of rescuing ourselves. If somebody great comes in, awesome, far out, but we don't have to settle.
1: Right. One of the big problems I see with outside candidates coming in with the <laughs> big name recognition, with the war chest, quote unquote, um, is they don't stick around very long. And even if they do, they are not active. I'm thinking of, like, I only joined the part, I only became aware of the party back in 2008. Uh, Bob Barr was the nominee back then. <laughs> I haven't heard anything from him since.
2: Sorry.
1: like uh, the worst. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. He was my he was my first introduction to the Libertarian Party. And I'm I sorry. did not know Jack. Well, no, don't apologize because I didn't know hardly anything about him. I just knew that he had Libertarian next to his name. Right. Like, oh, libertarian, I'll vote for him. Whatever. <laughs> so yeah. I, I I'm one of those rare instinctual libertarian voters. Um, but yeah, I de- haven't heard from him since. Uh Gary Johnson, he's been He's run for president twice, but he hasn't really been active very much uh in the years since his last uh, campaign.
0: He, he did run for senate, you know, and he yeah. and he's done some and he is I mean he's he's focused more on activism than actual mm. actual libertarian party stuff, but he is I mean, he is still presenting a libertarian message. He's probably the one I object to the least. You know, oh. I don't want some you know, but uh you know, we all know what happened to his running mate. Yeah, I was expecting...
1: I was just about to bring him up, too. Uh, Wild Bill Weld.
0: And we've got a couple others that have uh, recently switched parties that have proven, have track records of being bandwagon people that, uh, you know, they're coming in to use our party for their own gain as opposed to actually represent the party. And I'm not a big fan of that.
2: Right. The other thing, too, is that, you know, I know we've talked a lot about Amash, not necessarily... Um, you know, in a, in a public way, John and I, but we talk about it in private conversations. And then, of course, oh, my gosh, my cat is in the studio. <laughs> He's literally going to wander across the screen. Anyway, moving on. Uh, but also it's a, become a wider discussion for the party at large, like is he or isn't he? And from a strategic standpoint, it's, it doesn't make sense for him to run as president in 2020 because historically speaking, when you go up against an incumbent, the probability is not in your favor of being able to crack that. 70% of the time we double down and elect an incumbent. It's very, very rare when we don't. So for him to defect from the Republican Party and then, you know, make this big case about how he's not for party politics and then join the Libertarian Party and then run for president in an in a off year, basically, it's not strategically wise for him. It would be better served if he permitted somebody else right now to be the standard bearer and start the momentum, get that going, and then come in in 2024, you know, maybe with like Larry Sharp as his running mate or Larry Sharp at the top of the ticket and really take hold of that and run with it. But our job in these off years, those incumbent years, is to really make sure that we lay the groundwork for the ideas and that those holds and continue on in perpetuity.
0: And just so it's clear, I, I've been pushing the strategic value of uh, Justin in 2024 since actually well before we declared the uh I have thought for a long time that I would love him to come join our party and uh, and represent us, but I don't want him to come and, for lack of a better term, piss away all his, uh, his political capital on a year that's going to be so tied up in Trump versus anti-Trump versus all that. Uh, If he's going to come run under our standard, uh, strategically, long-term gains, we'll see a short-term gain if he runs in 2020, sure. But long-term gains, we would gain far more if he ran in 2024. Agreed.
1: Now, this all relies on the premise that whoever the nominee is in 2020 is going to be able to build on the momentum that Gary Johnson had, get some media appearances, get, get some buzz for them um you guys are one of the current candidates but besides you guys and the kokesh there's not mcafee i guess he's in there but he's off in his own world most of the time not really focusing (laughs) on president
2: from the government
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's he's off being the most interesting man in the world not necessarily the best presidential candidate out there um but do you guys think that in 2020 without a big-name candidate that will be able to get that buzz necessary to lay the groundwork for 2024.
2: Absolutely. I do. I think if you you, you look at how these previous elections have gone, um, you have seen consistently that we have this major sociocultural sea change. We have people who are growing increasingly disaffected with the two-party system and frustrated by the consistent lives. So they are at a point where they are wanting to reject government and they're looking for those words and something else, something better and something true. So there, we have a public that is hungry for this message. And because we are actually, surprisingly, the least crazy sounding people now on the current political climate, we are much, much more likely to be brought in as a voice of temperance to a large extent. You know, like, look at the libertarians for all this time you thought we were these Tin foil hat wearing crazy people and we're actually making a whole lot more sense compared to you know give them everything they want provided that there's more government of the democrats and then war in perpetuity of the republicans so i do I'm- think that we already are primed for that and i think that we will be able to build on that momentum and continue on
0: Well, especially considering that the last election, people really, I mean, whether they got snowed or not, people really showed that they were looking for somebody outside the establishment. You know, that's why Trump won, uh, despite the fact that he really was firmly entrenched in the establishment, but people thought that he wasn't. The, uh, you don't get much further outside the establishment than Kim and I.
2: Yeah, I've never been to D.C.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, going. good. You haven't <laughs> been corrupted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's actually I, I, what people I, people talk about, you know, sometimes ask us about experience, and I say, well, do you want experience with somebody who's been in the system being corrupted for decades, or do you want somebody who's got an experience in how these things actually affect real people?
2: Right, and that's the big thing. Like, John is an entrepreneur. I work in manufacturing. Both of our industries are such that we are most directly and immediately affected by any sort of negative rumblings in the economy and so we're coming from that perspective already we see how it impacts our own industries that's why we're vehemently pro free market we've seen people who've been negatively impacted by these draconian laws regarding the war on drugs so we think that there needs to be criminal justice overhaul all of our positions come from the fact that we are directly affected just like every other american citizen by these policies we aren't, you know, gilded or dipped in Teflon or whatever, like the, you know, ruling elite are that are exempt, somehow exempt just by the mere fact that they have the power and the authority.
1: Absolutely. Well, One of the biggest problems that libertarian candidates always have is it's very easy to ignore us, just to pretend that not only us, Green Party candidates, independent candidates, anyone that's not the big two, it's easy to just pretend they don't exist and then you get no traction anywhere. 2016 was kind of different because everybody hated the two candidates that they gave us. Trump had a core of support, but most Republicans voted for him because he wasn't Hillary. And nobody liked Hillary. They just didn't like Trump even more. So seeing how 2020 is shaping up to be
0: the same exact thing
1: the same thing like big bag trump and then anybody but trump you know just how are you how would you guys break through that media blacklist that always covers
0: libertarians
2: that's a good question you want to take that one john
0: well (laughs) the first one is our uh is our focus on down ballot candidates uh, we have plans to support down ballot candidates and actually and go up here at their events, uh, which uh, g- you get local media as opposed and kind of bypass the national media that way. And then if you get enough of that going, then take national media starts picking up the story. The uh, that'd be our first little strategic thing as far as that goes. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, we got a question from Jared Hall. He goes from an executive level. How would you encourage the duopoly to remove straight ticket voting buttons, slash bubbles, etc., on their ballots? Excuse
2: me. Uh, what? <laughs> I am Sorry. How, how, how is that? It? Go ahead, John.
0: How would we encourage that? Uh, well, that, I mean, that's simple. We, we, you know, as Kim has been known to say, while a lot of things are not actually in the purview of of this office. Uh, it does give us a bully pulpit to speak from, the uh, and so speaking about ballot access and speaking about those things and speaking about the negative consequences of straight ticket voting is what we would have to do. But the the presidential office actually has very little power in that regard, is because because that is a state level issue at this point. I mean, there is some question about uh, you know federal office versus state office kind of questions, but overall and the supreme court has upheld this time after time the uh, this, the states can pretty much set their own rules and so it is a state level decision.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So right, so how do how do you guys see the nomination process going? Let's 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 do a hypothetical. Uh, all the current candidates stay in and then at the last minute say Justin Amash throws in his towel and we have you guys John McAfee, Justin Amash, Adam Kokesh, all these guys st- on stage vying for the nomination. What would be your guys' pitch for the nomination in that scenario?
2: Oh, you know, it's funny as I i totally have a speech written but I don't want to share. <laughs> <laughs> I actually already have this one covered. So let's just say, if you would like to see how that's going to shake out, I encourage you to join us in 2020 in Austin, Texas.
1: Yes, we all want to, we all, I'm now, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat now. I want to know what that (laughs) speech is.
0: Well, um, I'm, you know, I'm, of course, in a different boat because, you know, I will be sitting there wondering, you know, after, you know, Kim is selected or not selected, who will then, um, Rat waterfall down and run for vice president or not, uh, and I've heard heard different stories about. Okay, hey, sometimes that happens a lot, and sometimes that doesn't happen. You know, nobody does it, and so the. Uh, but uh, I mean, uh, realistically, I mean, you know, we have to also look at the fact that, you know, you know, I'll, you know, John McAfee has things going for him, but he also is wanted by the law, and if he showed up in Austin, he probably would be arrested on the spot. Yeah. So,
1: so that's good. a problem yeah, for coverage. a
0: candidate. <laughs> yeah, like, kind of a problem for a presidential candidate. The uh uh you know, other than that, I mean, you know, we're going to get up there. I mean, I actually am hoping that we that we get as many people on the stage as possible. Uh the uh you know, I don't yeah. want I don't want people left out that are actually running. The so I uh, uh so I want to go up there and I want everybody to give it their best shot and uh, let the delegates decide.
1: Right. Now, f- fun fact: If John McAfee did get the nomination and he did end up being arrested, he would not be the first person to run a presidential campaign from jail. Fun fact: <laughs> I believe it was a a socialist back in the back during World War One who did it. I, be- just- I can't remember his name, but I, I believe it, it was a, it was a socialist during the Woodrow Wilson administration ran his presidential campaign from prison.
0: And there's actually was a uh, not much more recently was a city alderman from Chicago that ran his uh, reelection camp or his election campaign from jail while accused of murder and won his election campaign. Man, from jail.
1: Now, see, the guy I was thinking of was in jail for sedition because he spoke out against World War One. Uh, mm. Murder is quite a bit different.
2: yeah. Yeah, interesting. I'll have to look that up.
1: Now, I can't remember the guy's name. I know it was back during the Woodrow Wilson administration, um, but we're getting off topic now. Uh, you guys said you're you're planning on going on the campaign trail again, going to conventions. What uh, what upcoming events are you guys planning on going to?
2: Well, most immediately, I will be in Michigan this weekend, um, and they're having the Northwest Michigan Libertarian Party is having a kind of a statewide. Barbecue, So I was going to go up there and visit and hang out with everybody. And then John says he's going to North Dakota's convention the following weekend. So he'll be there for their event. And I believe the next thing that we have confirmed on the docket is South Carolina in November, the early part of November. That's going to be a televised presidential debate that they're all working very hard to put together. And then we've already been ironing out what's coming up in 2020 and have a pretty comprehensive list. And we're like, okay, who's going to take this event? Who's got this one <laughs> and make sure that we cover all of our bases. So yeah, we're, we're doing a lot of traveling. It's been, we're kind of averaging about one to two events a month per person. And then in 2020, in January, it'll be all the time.
0: Yeah. So. It's just from January through March, at least uh, we've got something almost every weekend and a lot of them are both of us booked at different events right because uh, we're trying to you know this year we did a bunch of one of conventions and next year we're basically going to try and swap so that she goes to the ones that i went to this year and i go to the ones that she went to so that you know everybody gets exposed to both of us
1: <laughs> see that's the good thing about working as a team this early on you don't have to go to every event yourself you can kind of trade off and then go to different
0: ones yeah that's so,
1: like
2: one of the benefits i mean we, we cover this a lot, but it's worth stating that we recognize that in the nominating process, we have, you know, the president is nominated separately from the vice presidential ticket. So there's a possibility that John and I won't, won't be selected together necessarily. And we knew that when we embarked on this, but we chose to run as a slate because of the fact that, you know, we are able to raise double in terms of limits. We are able to attend more events because we're splitting the difference and I know John is going to be an excellent representative of libertarianism, just as he knows that I have it covered. So we, this is a, you know, we were able to do a lot more and kind of lay that groundwork now than were we to just go solo and leave it up ultimately to the delegates to to decide. But whatever they do decide, we respect because we've been delegates ourselves. So, you know, whatever you guys choose is fine.
1: All right. So Jared Hall has two questions. One, what's your pitch going to be to the Prags? Two, when are you visiting Indiana?
2: <laughs> well, Jared, when are you gonna be our executive director again? <laughs> we'll start <Jared. laughs>
1: Oh, sick burn. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um,
1: to answer our, the question, Jared. <laughs> yeah,
2: to, to answer his first question, um, our pitch to the Prags is, is basically the fact that even though John and I both have this ultimate end goal of a, of a truly stateless, voluntary-based society, we also understand how government functions. And we understand that because of the way that government is designed, it's going to be a marathon and not a sprint to get to that point, particularly since we're dealing with a culture of indoctrination into this mindset that we have to overcome. So our pitch and the, the stance that we take, despite the fact that we have this ultimate end goal and this desire, is that we are telling people we are not going to do anything that is outside of the scope of the office. Constitution is very explicit. About what the presidential duties are. And we won't do anything greater than that, which shouldn't be novel, but it but is. It is. <laughs> because of what the current culture that we live in. You know, you have presidents who think that they're also legislators and they use executive orders as a means of creating supplemental legislation. And of course, when you have that overlap between the executive branch, which is responsible for enforcing legislation, also defining it, then you've created this mousetrap in the criminal justice system. So, that is our pitch: is that we will not do anything that extends beyond the scope of the office. That we are only talking about what we can reasonably achieve within a four-year time frame. What we can reasonably do if we actually limit it to its originally constitutionally defined scope. So that's that's our pitch.
0: Well, and th- and a little bit more in that uh, we have already successfully recruited from both Democrats and Republicans. Yep. Uh, we've got a former Yang Gang member working on our campaign. I've got a, a hardcore union activist uh, working with me right now, taking our taking our literature around to different Democrat events around the country. Uh, you know, and so we've uh, we've already had that successful outreach to people from other parties that are sick of their two parties, and we're already making progress in that in that in those regards.
1: Right. See that. See that's what I like to hear. I hear a lot of libertarian candidates go out there and say, I'm going to abolish the government day one, or I'm going to implement an anarchistic society day one. I'm like, <laughs> no, you're not. Even if you're elected, you're not. And right. saying you're going to do it is just going to ensure <laughs> that you're ignored forever and ever and ever.
2: Right. It's, and it's also, I mean, it's not only is it impossible, like it's just not realistic. Um, It's also a continuation of the very same thing that the powers that be have been doing, Democrats or Republicans, where they're completely either deliberately, willfully ignorant or accidentally ignorant about what the scope of the office is. And they make all these incredible promises. The Democratic debate is a prime example. Every single one of them is talking about all the laws they were going to pass. And John (laughs) and I are like, what? (laughs) Like That's not how this works.
0: Most of them, them, we didn't even talk about laws they were going to pass. They were talking about orders they were going to make that are completely illegal orders.
2: Right. Like Kamala Harris talking about how she's going to do executive orders if the legislature doesn't make comprehensive gun control on a federal level within her first 100 days. And then we were like, that is not how this works.
1: That's not
0: how any of this works. works.
1: (laughs) Yeah, The ironic part about that is she is presently in the branch of government where you draft and pass legislation mm-hmm. so she could that that legislation she wants congress to pass if she's elected
2: president she can draft it right now and try to push it through congress but she, right. she's not doing it right now yeah i mean this is that this is the, the great silliness and then because of the fact that they are doing things that extend beyond the scope of the office they set a dangerous precedent for everyone that follows suit And you saw how this played out in 2016. When Trump took power, you had all these liberals who were like, oh my God, no, he's got unmitigated access to all this power. And of course, the rest of us who've been paying attention this whole time, were like, well, yeah, so did Obama and so did Bush. And this has been basically going on for decades. This is little by little, piece by piece, vesting more authority in the executive branch, specifically in the president. You guys have made them a king. If you don't – if you're not comfortable with some knucklehead coming in and having that much control, then don't give your guy that control. Like, this, it, you, this is how it works.
0: Because that's how they do it. They, you know, when when Obama was in office, all the dem- Democrats were like, oh, yes, give executive orders. We love you. Do Do whatever. And the Republicans were hating on it. And now that Trump's in office, all the, you know, not all the Republicans, but all the Trump lovers are going, oh yes, give us an order, give us an order. But they're the same ones that were complaining about Obama doing it when he was doing it. Oh yeah. And they don't recognize that that guess what? The next president may not be your guy and you may not like the orders that, were woman, and you may not like the person, the orders that that person gives, but you've just given them the precedent to give those orders.
2: Right, exactly. By the way, I'm everyone's guy.
1: <laughs> all right so we're, we're coming up on a half hour now so people want to learn more about your campaign volunteer or contribute to it how would they go about doing that
2: john
0: wwwruffphillips 2020com
2: you can also find us on facebook at kim ruff slash john phillips for potus and v twenty twenty in 2020.com we're on is Twitter. it Twitter ads, at Rough 2020
0: Actually on Twitter it's just at Rough Phillips. There's no 2020 on it. He knows so there we go <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think we have Instagram and Snapchat and a bunch of other platforms as well. And an amazing team that runs them. And I have no idea what they do.
0: Oh <laughs> well, by the way, Jared, um, when is the Indiana convention? Let us know that so we can put it on the schedule, please.
2: I think we actually do have that information. Uh Aaron gave it to us. We just need to coordinate and confirm.
1: Awesome. The wheels are beginning to turn. Well, thank you guys very much for coming on. This was a very fun conversation. I uh, enjoyed it very much, and I think our listeners will too. Um, so that's where we're going to end it. Remember, everybody, the website is roads2liberty.com. That's roads We're on Facebook, Twitter, Minds, Instagram, YouTube, and anywhere your podcasts are fo- found. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming on. Have a good night.
2: Thanks, Nathan. Oops.